the Click owns this business. Coming down the aisle, Bimbo, Jimbo, baby, who is? You know that I'm the cream of the crop. Give me a hell yeah. Today, woo, I've got the stop and profile like never before. From our studios in downtown San Francisco, this is In The Click, Bimbo Jimbo, alongside my tag team partner, Baby Huey. Hello and welcome again, everybody. We're live, pal. Hey, buddy. What's going on? Well, we are struck by another major passing in the wrestling world. Uh, The greatest wrestler on God's green earth, as he was affectionately known, handsome Harley Race, has passed away at the age of 76. Uh, we are going to bring in a wrestling historian, Keith Elliott Greenberg, to talk about it. But before we do that, Huey, just real quick, your initial reaction when you saw the news. And I know your brother, uh, obviously, huge Harley Race fan. And if I were to guess, probably one of his all-time favorite wrestlers. Absolutely. So, yeah, it definitely, it, it's very sad. And it hurts just because, uh, as you just said, my brother, he's my brother. he has an old soul. And very much growing up over the years, my brother always loved stuff from the past, like stuff before his time. And he's always been a fan of just some of the, the legends from like of wrestling from like the, the, the seventies and the eighties. And my brother always loves researching that stuff and like watching old matches. And so needless to say, growing up, he was a big Harley race fan. Cause it was from an era that he really respected. So he passed that along to me. It just uh, informed me a lot about who Harley race was. And so to see, hear the news that Harley Race passed away, of course, is very sad for us just because that was someone that we bond over and watch matches of. And so, and I, I'm in the whole wrestling world is very sad. He's one of the biggest names ever. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, about the just reaction, the outpouring from the wrestling industry, uh, you know, in, you know, just in response to this news. But for right now, let us bring in somebody that can talk about this very authoritatively. Uh, we met him a few years ago at WrestleMania. Somebody that went through it, somebody that's interviewed Harley Race multiple times, knew him. New York Times bestselling author, Keith Elliott Greenberg. Thanks for coming on, Keith. Thank you. Uh, just right off the bat, you know, just what was what was your reaction today? Obviously sad, but when you saw the news about uh, losing Harley. You know, uh, I anticipated that was going to occur. He he had lung cancer for a while. He was trying to make personal appearances for a long time, and he did make quite a few appearances. People were posting pictures on social media with him up until a few weeks ago, even though his cancer was determined to be termi- terminal. Uh, he was a pretty tough guy, so we were expecting him to hold on perhaps a bit longer. But um, it's a shame because history is lost right now. You know, I wrote books with Freddie Blassie and w- with Ric Flair and with superstar Billy Graham. And I think about all the people I spoke, of, I spoke to, Harley Race, Killer Kowalski, Maniac John Tolis, all those people, Arnie Skoland, all these WWE Hall of Famers, they're all gone now. Yeah, you you touched on some some great stuff there in terms of Harley and just 
the first thing you said was tough, and that seems to be the word uh, that's really going around today, you know, on social media and everything as everybody is reacting to this loss, is that he was really known for his toughness. What was it about him that made even, you know, people that work in this very brutal industry to respect him as being one of the toughest guys to do it? Well, you know, I remember Harley telling me about his training, and he was trained by a fellow named uh, two brothers, Volodek and Stanislav Zabisko. Larry Zabisko, who came later, was actually named after them. He got his name from the, his wrestling name from them. But these guys were legitimate shooters, meaning that if they got in the ring and somebody tried some funny business, <laughs> these guys could actually stretch you and hurt you and break bones. And these guys trained him on a farm in Missouri where he was from. And he said they were sadists. They completely <laughs> tortured him. And, um, you know, they had some history because I believe it was Stanislaus Zabisco at one point uh, was brought in uh, to wrestle for one of the earlier versions of the world championship. And it, uh, a, a football player named Wayne Munn was the champion at mm. the time. And Stanislaus Zabisco, to use wrestling parlance, went into business for himself and took the title without Wayne Munn's cooperation. So that was how Harley Race was trained. And you also have to realize that back then, if you were given the NWA championship, that meant that you were tough enough to defend it in the event of a double cross. That was a consideration that the promoters gave to protect their championship. Wow. So Harley was universally considered tough enough that no matter where he was in the world, if somebody decided, hey, we're going to have a real fight, they would not survive a fight with Harley Race. That is amazing. I, I was not aware that it was taken that seriously in terms of you know having to be able to sort of protect the brand and the championship in that sense. Uh, we are talking with Keith Elliott Greenberg. He's New York Times bestselling author and wrestling historian. Uh, you know, you mentioned some names: superstar Billy Graham, Ric Flair, the Zabiscos. Can you talk a little bit about just? I mean, you said history was lost. I mean, he had such a prolific career in the time period. He really bridged the gap. I feel like between a lot of generations and sort of just the other careers that he touched. Yes, and you know, Harley back then, uh, the NWA heavyweight championship was the premier championship in the world and every year there would be a convention of wrestling promoters from all over the world literally as far away as new zealand and they would vote on who the champion would be and the, the, the considerations involved can this man work a 60 minute match can he make his opponent look great while still having his hand raised in victory can he protect the title and protect our brand and so Harley held the championship, I believe it was uh, eight, eight official times. Mm -hmm. There is um, a, uh, th there was a little back and forth trade between Ric Flair and Harley during a 1984 tour. Uh, the way they told it to me was, I believe they were in New Zealand, and Harley said, ah, Rick, let me take the championship from you tonight, and you know, <laughs> well, next week when we're in Singapore, you'll take it back from me. But somebody stooged on them. And so the <laughs> title switches were erased perennially from the record books. Wow. But, but, but Harley held the championship. I think the first time he won the championship was in 73. Mm -hmm. And then he won it again in 77. 
And then he, uh, his last official reign, I believe, ended in Star at Starcade '83 when he lost to Ric Flair in a cage in Charlotte, North Carolina. And there's a very interesting story behind that because that took place when the current Vince McMahon, there was a Vince uh, Vincent James McMahon who was the current Vince McMahon's father. This is the current Vince McMahon who runs WWE had uh, visions of expanding internationally and that meant disrespecting the territories that came before uh, the regional uh, literally territories that the promoters had worked out I have Northern California but you have Southern California yeah I have Texas no I, I have Dallas but you have San Antonio I have Florida but you have Georgia there were arrangements like that Vince McMahon started to just expand and he wanted big names as part of that expansion. His logic was, if I get the biggest names in professional wrestling, everybody will come to me. So the night before Harley Race was supposed to lose the title to Ric Flair, he met with Vince McMahon in New York City. And according to Harley Race, he told me that Vince McMahon offered him $250,000, blow off his match with Ric Flair, and come to wow. what was then the World Wrestling Federation with the championship. Ah! And uh, Harley, the way he told the story, he and Vince McMahon were standing in the bathroom, and Harley said, you see that image over there? I'm looking in the mirror. Uh, I, can't, I won't be able to do that tomorrow. So he went back to Charlotte, and everybody was freaking out because it was 4.45 p.m., and Harley was not there. And everyone kind of had a sense of what was up. And when Harley showed up at 5, it's like, okay, he's doing business. And he laid down for Ric Flair that night. Yes, he did. Wow, that's really cool to hear that. But so, Keith, just for uh, for some of our audience out there who might be on a little bit on the younger side, who maybe got into wrestling post like Harley Race's prime years, can you just kind of explain as far as his in ring style and, and the way he would work in the ring? Just what made him so appealing for the masses that he became such a big fan favorite. I, and once again, we revert back to that word toughness. Uh, back then, the NWA champion, whether it was Terry Funk or Ric Flair or Harley Race or Jack Briscoe or Dory Funk Jr., was expected to defend that championship often to a time limit draw, which meant being in the ring literally for 60 minutes. And Harley Race would be in that ring for 60 minutes doing the craziest move, doing the vertical suplex. Uh, doing the flying headbutt from the top rope, just taxing his body. You know, you'd see him out at a bar afterwards, and he'd be smoking a cigarette and drinking whiskey. And, you know, an hour and a half earlier, this guy was killing himself. And, you know, you'd see him out at a bar, he looked like somebody's father, maybe a little more rugged, rugged than somebody's father, but he pretty much looked like a regular working man. So there was a believability there. You really believe this guy fought the match of his life, and you also believed that his opponent had shined that night, that Harley Race had taken him further than he'd ever been taken before, and that this guy was better because of that hour in the ring with Harley Race. Wow, that's incredible to hear. So uh, for anyone who might be interested, like either to go back and watch on the WWE Network or even stuff on YouTube, uh, is there any specific rivalries that – 
stood out for Harley Race or specific matches that maybe people should go and watch to really get an idea of who he was as an in-ring competitor? I mean, the first match that comes to mind is the one I referenced, the 1983 match in which he lost to Ric Flair at Starcade. I mean, that gives you an indication, even in defeat, how believable he was. Um, you know, so I would say uh, his matches with Jack Briscoe were fabulous. Uh, his matches with Terry Funk were excellent. Uh, you know, he, um, Dusty Rhodes, he had a very memorable rivalry with Dusty Rhodes. So if you type in Harley Race and any of those other names, you're really going to get an education about the type of performer that he was. Absolutely. And you, you've mentioned now a couple times the first Starcade. You mentioned Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes. How instrumental, and you, you co-wrote uh, Ric Flair's book, To Be the Man. How instrumental was Harley Race in really making Ric Flair the man? Obviously, you know, Ric won the championship from him at that Starcade, but just was that a really like a torch passing moment? And just ha- how much did that put Ric on the map? Uh, they both looked at that as a torch passing moment, and it was a torch passing moment. And Harley Race uh, said this in a, an interview I did with him, but he also said it when he was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame that there was some um, dispute among the uh, promoters about whether Ric Flair should win that championship. And some wondered because his uh, persona was so uh, larger than life and in some ways flamboyant and high living, whether he was a believable tough guy that you could put in the ring and could defend that title if somebody tried to double-cross him. And the decision was made, yes, Ric Flair is as tough as I am. And Harley Race was very upfront about that. This guy can protect himself. He can protect the title. He can protect our thing, the way we do business. And so that was an anointing of Ric Flair, and that anointing largely came from the lips of Harley Race, who in addition to being a champion, also was a well-respected wrestling promoter in Missouri. When, when I think of Harley Race, and when I think really of the 10 pounds of gold, maybe other than Ric Flair, and, and maybe more so, Harley Race is the name that comes to mind. Is he maybe the one that's most synonymous with that championship in your estimation? Well, I'd say him and Flair for people, look, I'd say of our generation, I'm an older guy, I'm 60 <laughs> years old, but um, for people of my generation, you know, I think of Flair, I think of race, and you know, I also think of Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr., yeah. but those are the guys who, uh, they embodied what that NWA championship was supposed to be, and you know, when you would go to a match, those guys would bleed, and they would work, and they would persist, and and, you know, you were breathless by, before the, the final bell even rang. Yeah, that's, I mean, well, very well said. I know you've been uh, generous with your time already. Again, we've been talking with Keith Elliott Greenberg. He's a New York Times bestselling author. You can check out all of his stuff uh, on Amazon.com. You're also working on uh, in, in a book about the history of indie, indie pro wrestling. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? When's that coming out? Or, or maybe it already is since we last spoke. No, I'm 125 pages in as of last night, and this is uh, this is called uh, this is based on the indie wrestling phenomenon that w- that we're now seeing, and uh, we speak about everything from the 
outlaw promotions of, of old, uh, people who went against the NWA establishment and tried to, you know, defy the the order of things, how mm-hmm. those guys fared, and how that eventually led to the creation of independent wrestling. And indie wrestling really took shape when WWE bought up WCW and ECW, its last two competitors in the early 2000s, and how year by year, indie wrestling developed a character of its own till we've come to where we are today, where New Japan Pro Wrestling is having shows at the Cow Palace and in Madison Square Garden, and AEW, which is started by... Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and a bunch of other, you know, independent names, how those guys now are going to have a show on TNT come October. So it's a very exciting time to be a wrestling fan. There are a lot of changes. And my book is both a look back and a snapshot of the era in which we're living right now. So, Keith, we've been talking a lot about the the history of the NWA in regards with Harley Race. So, just curious your thoughts. As you just mentioned, it's interesting times right now for professional wrestling between WWE, AEW is now on the rise, New Japan, and even Ring of Honor and all these other promotions, and indie wrestling is all, we're all they're all thriving right now. So just curious your thoughts on the current state of the NWA. I know Billy Corgan bought them a few years ago, and they've really been trying to have a big digital presence with like their web series on the 10 pounds of gold. So and I know they've been working a lot more with like Ring of Honor and we're doing like co co shows together. So just kind of your thoughts on the state of the NWA and where you think it's going to be heading even into the new year. Well, it's hard for me to decide, you know, how the business will fare since I'm not a business person. I'm a writer and I'm, I'm chronicling the business. I certainly think last year at All In, which was the pay-per-view in uh, September uh, that gave rise to the creation of AEW, the NWA title was defended very prominently. Cody Rhodes, or Cody Runnels, but the son of Dusty Rhodes, uh, won the title at that event. He later dropped it back to Nick Aldis. But when you watched it, suddenly you believed in that title again. Now, I don't know where that's going to go. They were off to a really good start. And hopefully, look, competition is good for everybody if you're a fan. And hopefully the interest in that championship will continue to build. Last one for you, Keith, before we let you go. If you had to just sort of try and sum up a legacy for Harley Race, what would it be in your estimation? Uh, a, a perennial champion until the day he died. Thank you very much. Keith Elliott Greenberg, check out all of his stuff. I can't wait for you to get through that book about indie pro wrestling. What a perfect time to be writing it. Thank you so much, Keith, for coming on. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Can't wait to talk to you guys again. Really a pleasure talking to Keith. Again, somebody... Uh, Just so much knowledge about the history of professional wrestling uh, and just so willing to talk about some when uh, just a different time. Harley Race really was a throwback. Yeah, I was getting goosebumps listening to Keith tell some of those stories of uh, Harley Race back in the day and him and Ric Flair. It's like, wow, it's just it's I could listen to talk forever about some of this stuff. So, of course, very sad once again with the passing of Harley Race. But uh, for Keith, it's very cool just to hear how much he knows about Harley Race's history. So, like, thank him again for making the time. And, uh, I mean, I know we had limited time with him, but there were so many different things we could touch on. I mean, um, I would love, maybe next time we have a chance to talk to him, we can talk about, like, 
how Harley Race used to body slam Andre the Giant, and he had Before some like WrestleMania three, and he had legendary matches with Abdul the Butcher over in Japan. So I mean, there's there's so much to talk about Harley Race as far as what he's done for the business and who he's wrestled all over the world. So as we were just talking about a second ago, was do yourself a favor, and if you're especially if you're one of these younger people who maybe grew up in a different era of time after Harley Race, do yourself a favor. Go on the WWE Network or YouTube, wherever you like watching videos, and just look him up and just watch some of these classic moments of his career. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the wrestling world is reacting and I, a little bit differently, it seems, almost to the passing of Harley Race. He really was a legend within the wrestlers themselves. The amount of respect that pro wrestlers had for Harley Race is really, uh, you know, top tier, second to none, whatever you want to say about it. I want to read a few of the reactions here, uh, most notably from Ric Flair, of course. Uh, he put this on Twitter. said, today we lost not only a great personal friend, but in my estimation, the one and only real world champion. Without Harley Race, there was no Ric Flair. I tried my hardest every day to live up to his standard in the ring. And we talked about that in the interview, just in terms of putting Ric Flair on the map. You know, Harley Race was instrumental in that Ed Starcade in putting Ric Flair over and passing that torch to him. And, you know, he did a similar thing for Dusty Rhodes as well. And just, again, that sort of just the breadth of his career was just so vast. Yeah, it's just really amazing. When we look back at some of the legends of just pro wrestling, it's just amazing how many Harley has interacted with, wrestled against. And so he's definitely just one of the all-time greats as far as what he was able to contribute. And it's, um, it's really just... I think for a lot of people who don't understand the full history of the NWA, I think it was really cool that you brought it up as far as what he represents to that organization. And just just really cool hearing about how people would vote, who decides who the champion yeah. is. And so I always geek out over that stuff. And I don't know. I wish – is there like a documentary about the NWA? I would love to learn more about the NWA and the history of it. And that's something, if you, if you really think about it, he mentioned you know, Vince was trying to expand and take WWE or WWF at the time and make it global – and like take out all the territories. And so it's really interesting. I think we're at a point now in wrestling where a lot of people maybe grew up and don't know anything about territories when it comes to professional wrestling. We just know certain promotions existing and that's it. So it's always um, bittersweet when when these legends pass away, but it's our opportunity to reflect on the history of wrestling and how it's evolved over the years. And Harley Race played a big part of that. Uh, Cody Rhodes put this out there on Twitter. Thank you, Harley. So many legends in the industry will tell you he was the toughest to ever do it. That's the theme mm -hmm. uh, coming out. He never stopped giving. I remember when he managed Vader in WCW, he would still try and scare me backstage. Ten pounds of gold, never looked better on anybody. And that, that's sort of what I was trying to hit at uh, with Keith was just that the imagery of a champion holding that ten pounds of gold, one of the most iconic titles in pro wrestling history, to me – it's Ric Flair holding it, mm -hmm. and it's Harley Race holding it. And that's yeah. not to besmirch, you know, a great champion like Dusty Rhodes, you know, obviously a great celebration. But Dusty was such a chaser throughout most of his career. Yeah. But Harley was sort of a a proto-Ric Flair. I mean, he was sort of like a a toughest SOB version of Ric Flair in terms of holding, having that stranglehold on the title kind of deal. You know, Ric Flair was much more about the showmanship and obviously yeah. that larger-than-life persona. But to me, champion's champion. Yeah, well, the other thing, too, is keep in mind, like, you know, one thing we kind of complain about the current state of wrestling is how, especially in WWE, we feel like sometimes these championships are just kind of hot potato 
around from person to person and don't really have any significant value anymore. But you look at a guy like Harley Race and way him and Ric Flair, they would hold the title. You know, they wouldn't maybe at times wear around their waist. They would hold it in their arms all throughout the, their arms. So they would have like those iconic poses holding 10 pounds of gold in their arms. And I think a lot of people to this day try to mimic that pose. So I think that's just really cool how much of a trendsetter he was and what it means to be a champion. And I think that's something that uh, is such a valuable thing he brought to wrestling is like, yeah, what it is to be a champion. He laid the the groundwork for that. And um, it's just, yeah, it's just so sad to, to see that he's gone. And But, I mean, the great thing about him is, is he left such a huge history and legacy for us to reflect upon. And, I mean, if anything, just thank him for that. One more before we uh, move on. Bret Hart put out on Instagram, I'm saddened to learn of the recent passing of legendary champion Harley Race. It has often struck me that pro wrestlers sometimes parallel the old West gunfighters of the past. If so, Harley Race was Wild Bill Hickok, the real deal. He was a true icon, a trailblazer, and as tough as they come. Harley was a great influence on me throughout my lifetime, and I had the honor of wrestling him one time in 1980 in Billings, Montana. At the best of times and the worst of times, he was there for me, my brothers, my father, and the rest of my family. Goodbye, Harley. You were a true friend. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there is just an endless supply of touching tributes uh, on- online that you can find out there. Also, just want to thank Keith again for making the time. So, I mean, talking to him and just hearing how much he knows about the history of pro wrestling. So, it's just very cool to kind of tap into him and just hear him out. So, for anyone listening to this right now, please take the time to check out Keith's body of work. And yeah, absolutely. Learn so much from him. Yeah, no doubt about it. And again, he is uh, quite literally an encyclopedia of wrestling knowledge. I mean, he helped uh, co-write the WWE Encyclopedia of Pro Wrestling and Sports Entertainment. Uh, and, you know, he's done so many other works. He talked about, you know, how books he's co-written with other wrestlers and everything like that. So, yeah, please check out his stuff. And we'd love to have Keith back on the program again sometime. Uh, as we move along here... Wrestling fans, Stockton Con is coming right up August 3rd and 4th uh, in Stockton. You guessed it, Stockton Con. It is one of the the highlights of the convention circuit, certainly here in California. And if you're a wrestling fan, Vicky Guerrero, Chavo Guerrero, Kurt Angle, and the villain Marty Skrull all will be there. And Lita. And Lita. Yeah, don't want to miss Lita. So, I mean, tons of wrestling legends uh, for you to go there and meet and press the flesh and tell all your wrestling stories too. So do yourselves a favor and go out to Stockton Con again. That's August 3rd and 4th. And in the lead up to that, there's more APW Sucker Free, which is featuring Sean Spears of AEW. Uh, Chavo Guerrero will be there as well, among many other stars. It is it is always a great time out when you go to All Pro Wrestling. And, you know, we, we, we love that promotion. They've been first class with us. But, I mean, they really just they put out top-notch quality matches. I know. I'm looking at their Instagram, and they keep adding more matches. It's a pretty stocked uh, card they have lined up for uh, for this month. I mean, we were lucky to the King of Indies last month and also Bay Area Bash. And it's like, wow, how can you top that? They had two amazing shows back-to-back, and now they got sucker free. And so a lot of amazing matches lined up. So do yourself a favor. Check out All Pro Wrestling on Instagram to see all the – the images. I love even the poster they use. Yeah. Um. I think uh, our boy Marcus Mack, who uh, oversees All Pro Wrestling, uh, the the poster was inspired by I think uh, SummerSlam in the early '90s. He uh, posted I think on Facebook, whatever, comparing the two. But it was, 
I mean, I love that he acknowledges just the past and kind of brings it to uh, his independent promotion like that. And uh, it, But seriously, all these matches are awesome. So uh, get your tickets now, allprowrestling.com. It's also on Eventbrite to buy your tickets. Yeah, absolutely. All Pro Wrestling. Again, you'll never regret an, an evening spent out at APW. Also, BTW's got a major show coming up August 16th, a, uh, BTW Under the Stars. you got mm-hmm. Brett the Hitman Hard out there. Davy Boy Smith, Billy Gunn's going to be out there among many, many others. So, God, there I mean, there is so much pro wrestling in the Bay Area. If you're if you're not in the Bay Area, consider coming out and making a visit and, and you do the loop and you do the circuit for, for all the great pro wrestling that we have out here in California. I know. It's really cool right now. As even Keith was mentioning, he's writing a book about independent, independent pro wrestling, how it's growing. And so for us here, I would argue Northern California, specifically in the Bay Area, are within uh, an hour or two radius. We're very fortunate with the amount of uh, promotions that we have, but the the talent that's coming out here, the roster, the people that make the time to travel out here and perform, we're very lucky. I would compare it to any other market out there and say, you know, we're just as good as anything else. I know um, uh, talking to uh, a comedian, Taylor Williamson, uh, a couple weeks ago, talking about he goes to a lot of PWG shows down yeah. in Southern California. I say, hey, I think we have our own NorCal version of that with APW and Big Time Wrestling puts on some amazing events as well. So we're lucky. I and mean, even Hood Slam, like there's so much going around Absolutely. the Bay Area. I know Hood Slam has a show also tonight at the Oakland Metro. So check out Hood Slam for uh, catch. They they have. Uh, I think they're so big now. They have shows every Friday or every yeah. week at the Oakland Good Metro. For them. That's totally. so awesome. So between Hood Slam, Big Time Wrestling, All Pro Wrestling, there's so much to choose from. I, I think Hood Slam's venue might be my favorite uh, out of Oakland all Metro. Country. I love the Oakland yes. Metro. That's such yeah. a cool place to watch wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a really really enjoyable scene, and and it has a bar. Yes. You know, which I, I know the Newark Pavilion has a bar as well for BTW, so <laughs> yeah. also big perks. Yeah, yeah. And also, should we mention real quick about uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin coming to the Bay Area? Oh, yeah, Silicon Valley Comic Con. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I know we mentioned it last week, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Stone Cold, Stone Cold will be coming to Silicon Valley Comic Con. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just a ton of pro wrestlers and pro wrestling related activities for for the Bay Area. It's, it's a little overwhelming, to be honest it's with you. It's a lot to keep track of. I know you and I behind the scenes are trying to organize everything and seeing what we can do and not do and yeah there's so much to go on i love it yeah and also pro wrestling related is what we're gonna be talking about now but not exactly in the ring but in the box office huey and i went to a screening of the latest fast and furious franchise installment sort of like their version of the star wars story rogue one i guess and we saw hobbs and shaw Starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Jason Statham, your favorite bald action hero, maybe. Well, I guess if you count The Rock, just depends. But, uh, yeah, and Roman Reigns making his big screen debut. Uh, this was a big deal for for the pro wrestling mm-hmm. fans out there. And so we went to a special screening of that here in San Francisco. Um, I was very excited for it. You know, I'm watching the trailers. It looked completely absurd and ridiculous. I But I was ready to check my brain at the door. Get a big thing of popcorn and uh, maybe a soda and, and and watch the whole thing unfold and have a good time. None of those things came to fruition. I was, was going to say, that was your clue with no popcorn. Oh, I knew. Yeah, I, it was a bad omen. We go to the theater. What kind, of, what kind of self-respecting movie theater doesn't have regular popcorn? Like their popcorn machines were all empty or broken. It's like we got the cheddar popcorn or the kettle popcorn. Neither one of eh, eh. neither one of those are gonna cut it for your friendly neighborhood bimbo jimbo. I want the regular stuff 
with the butter. You know, and I don't like to do the butter myself. Like this, like as Bill Burr would say, this isn't a relay race. You do the butter. In, 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 oh. in my terms, you're the butter professional. I'm a novice. I don't know how to do the butter on the popcorn correctly. <laughs> I'm either going to do it too much or too little. So there's no popcorn. I knew that was a bad omen rolling in. Hobbs and Shaw, mm-hmm. I will say this about it, gave me a new appreciation for the movie Stuber. <laughs> Hobbs and Shaw, again, it's undeniable the chemistry between The Rock and Jason yes. Statham. Yes. That, that, that is true. But that was one of the dumbest movies <laughs> I have ever seen in my entire life. Baby Huey, what did you think? <laughs> Be honest, you corporate shill. Baby Huey's like the, the, the mean street posse when it comes to reviewing movies. And like, just think of like any movie as Shane McMahon. So... <laughs> So but pucker up, Buttercup. What do you got to say about Hobbs and Shaw? Um, yes. As you said, the word absurd, I think, really much explains this movie. There, <laughs> If you're a fan of just big summer blockbuster action over-the-top movies, this movie is for you. Like, let's be honest. It's, it's summertime. This is the type of movie you should expect to see in the summer season. It's very much in the style of like those big action movies Arnold would do back in the eighties and nineties. Is it though? Well, I mean, what over the top action and like feats of strength that is not human. That's like absurd, as you say. I think absurd is the key word. I mean, go back and watch Predator. I mean, I feel like Predator was more grounded in reality than this movie was, and Predator had a freaking alien hunting him. <laughs> so like, this one had a, a Predator a, was much more realistic. I feel like. Than Hobbs and Shaw. Well, they had a cyber, cybernetic enhanced human yes. chasing them down. Yeah, Idris Elba. Yeah, who I like. I love Idris Elba very much. Like he's a great actor. I I I really enjoy watching his movies by and large. He's a hilarious figure to me because several years ago he came out and like sort of bad mouthed his role in Thor. Yeah, being yeah, like, yeah. oh, I gotta wear this like ridiculous costume and do like all these ridiculous things. It's like, dude. That's your whole brand now, bro. That's all you do. Like, are you not trying to change it? Like, maybe stop saying yes to those things. <laughs> and now you're in Hobbs and Shaw blatantly lifting Transformers sound effects as you go around on your on your little, like, uh, tra- your Transformers wheeljack motorcycle. I love that. Every time that motorcycle was in action or would come in the frame, here, It's the Transformers sound effect. I was like, whoa. Like, okay, you know, it's coming. Like, I wonder... Does Some he, type of Bumblebee shared universe. Maybe that's why John Cena is joining the next the next one. I want to know, like, okay, is that sound really being heard, like, out in the street? Like, if yes, like, wow, like, should they make a more stealth like motorcycle that wouldn't make all those noises when it's changing up? Like, just so I mean, what? Did, what did you think though? So it was absurd. Yeah. Okay. I will say this. Like, uh, and I was expecting absurd. Yes. Like, don't misunderstand me. Like, I have a heart for these kinds okay. of movies. So, like. The 90s action films of our day, like The Rock, classic films. Oh, Super I love enjoyable. It. Yes. What a great movie. But, like, I could wrap my head around so much of what The Rock was about. This. Not Dwayne Johnson. No, not the Dwayne Rock Johnson. Sean I, mean, I could wrap my, my head around something on Dwayne, too, probably. But, <laughs> you know, I don't need to do that yet. But, oh. and again, I love The Rock. Okay. Keep in mind. So, this movie is a spinoff from the Fast and Furious franchise. I think what happened is, is. The, the higher powers that be at the movie studio saw kind of the chemistry between The Rock and Jason Statham in the last couple Fast and Furious movies. And it movies. is plentiful. There is terrific chemistry. Yes, absolutely. And so, and let's be honest, Fast and Furious, I mean, what, they've done, what, eight movies so far, I think? Or, like, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. They've done eight so far. And the cast is huge now. There's so many people in and out of these movies. So maybe they thought, well, let's take these two popular characters, bring them over into their own little world to do uh, their own franchise. And I could tell, like, this is probably they want to make a, a trilogy out of them, too. And keep in mind, so if you've seen the previous Fast and Furious movies, you know that they both don't like each other. They both, one's, uh, you know, with, with uh, he's a lawman, which is The Rock's character. Hobbs Shaw is like a spy slash just a big time criminal. So theoretically, you don't like each other. But in this movie, it's. Uh, the enemy of my enemy is what brings them together initially. So it's like yeah. they got unfortunately have to work together, even though they don't want to. So they beat that story into the ground. Exactly. So there's a lot of back and forth uh, insults, and some of it is really funny, and I enjoyed it. But some of it was like, okay, like quit pushing it, forcing it down our throats. I like by the second act. For me personally, I was just exhausted because I felt like it really slowed down the story. It was like a speed bump. We're trying to move along to the next scene or next setting, and it's like, hold up, time out, pause. Here, let me get some insults in on you right now. And I was like, okay, I get it. It's almost like a buddy cop movie type of thing, even like uh, there's a little 48, 48 hours movie poster in one scene, so I wonder if it's kind of a nod of what they're trying to accomplish here. But it is very much over the top. And, like, there was some just... Thing. I don't even think it's over the top. It's like, imagine the tallest ladder that Jeff Hardy's ever climbed and put it on top of Hell in a Cell and then jump <laughs> off from that. that That's what this movie well, was. It was... It was... It was but, deliriously stupid. But that's what Fast and the Furious has turned into. The last, like, I would say Fast and the Furious 4 and on, all those movies have become so over the top. The action sequences... The, the things that these characters are doing in the real world, it's like that's not believable. I, I mean, I guess do, are, do cars people, flying around. Do, do people go see these movies to laugh at it and not with it? Like what? Like what's the what's the appeal here? Because to to me, it's like especially the scenes in Samoa were just ridiculously dumb. Yes, I mean, and, that, and that's what I'm getting to. It's like I, like some of the things, like in the Fast and Furious movies, I think it was. A, the previous one or two movies ago, like a car flying from one building into the next. And it's well, like, that's normal. Well, it's like, what? That's not, that's not physically possible. And well, that seems perfectly but, fine. But in this movie, they take that to the next level as far as just things that are like, what? That, like the rock was like pulling a helicopter with one arm. I mean, like. That well, actually is one of the more believable things but, in the movie to me. I mean, there's parts where like cars just touch each other and, yeah, and they link up perfectly. Exactly. And like, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, Samoa has all these perfectly timed booby tra- booby traps. <laughs> Look at the Goonies, <laughs> but you know they have all. The- <laughs> yeah, okay, come on. <laughs> but these traps, maybe he just hit puberty live on air. <laughs> booby trap. <laughs> wow, Bo- is it booty traps? <laughs> booby traps, baby. Yeah, booby he- traps. Yeah. I'm right. <laughs> But they're all perfectly lined up in a short period of time since they arrive on the island, unless they're all lined, ready to go for, for bad people. But uh, I will say there there's some funny cameos in this movie. Yeah. So keep that. There's, that was probably the highlight. Yeah, absolutely. And then. Um, what do you uh, think of Roman? Then we'll move on. Um, can we just say like. He does a Samoan drop. He does a spear. Yes. He does his taunt. Yes. 
No speaking. Typical Roman Reigns match, except minus the Superman punches. Yeah, no, no. I mean, that's why I was bummed. I, I was hoping for a Superman punch in this movie. Yeah, we got a Samoan drop and a spear. Yeah, which is, yeah. I mean, Spears is finish. Yeah, but like, you know, Superman Rocked punch. Rocked a spine buster. Yeah, yeah, and a suplex. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it... it uh, Roman, just keep in mind he's more uh, a background character. So for our wrestling Which fans, we knew. yeah, but I mean he has no speaking lines in this. Yeah. It's all action, and he's just standing there making facial re- reactions and faces in the in the, in the background. So, but um, overall, like it's a this movie is so over the top. It, it's like laughable on some of the stuff. And it's like I want to know, baby Huey, did you like it? No, it's not a good movie. Okay, I just, I just want him. <laughs> what to about you? Record. What about I, you? I, I uh, no, I thought I. Between not having any popcorn, I might have liked it more if I had had popcorn. I mean, you were giving me the the fiend, uh, uh, the yeah, giving you the mandible claw. I wanted to leave. <laughs> I was like, Dude, well, this is too dumb, even for me. Well, remember, was at the end of the second act in in Ukraine when they're in the Ukraine? Mm, yeah, yeah, I was like, damn, that's a big finish right there. We still had a whole nother rest of the act of the movie to get through. I was like. This movie was really long. I don't know about you. Yeah, it I, felt long. It felt long. Like, I was like, come on, let's wrap it this up. I, it is funny that you mentioned that. And this is the last thing I'll say before we move on because we want to actually talk about pro wrestling. <laughs> uh, is that it, I, there was a point watching it where I was like, did they cut out all the parts where they go to Samoa? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I was like, because this is like going to end, right? Like, we don't have. How much longer is this thing going to roll on? <laughs> uh, Where's Roman? I want Roman Reigns. Yeah, it just... I they cut him out. <laughs> listen, I get the appeal, uh, you know, and I know people love the franchise and everything. And, I, and look, I was ready for stupid and absurd and everything like that. This was just... It, 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 I guess it took it sort of out of the fast genre, though, into sort of the superhero genre, which is what I didn't like about it. Well, because it's like that's not their wheelhouse. So like it's be dumb, but be dumb doing your thing. Like if anything, it didn't have enough car stuff. Well, actually, that was one thing I did enjoy towards the end. The little callback to the Fast and Furious movies. I don't know if I should say it as a spoiler, but you know when like they're they're getting the cars all revved up and they kind of. Do that, you know, iconic scene through the engine. Yeah. I like that. That's just a good callback of what the Fast and Furious movies are all about. But I'm with you, though. There was, like, like this, for the most part, I think we're at the point now, there's certain things we expect out of, like, a Fast and Furious type movie. And this movie accomplishes a lot of those. But, yes, it's just overall the story. What do you think of the overall, like, just story and what they're trying to accomplish in this movie as far as... um, Like the the actual narrative of it. I think what they accomplished was breaking the popcorn machines. And with that, much like Maven at Royal Rumble with The Undertaker, we're going to move on after the broken (laughs) popcorn. Uh, But let's talk about what happened in in professional wrestling and Monday Night Raw and SmackDown this week. Uh, But first, we have a few uh, newsworthy items that we want, want to get to. Wilder of The Revival tweeting at Arn Anderson saying he'll see you soon. Uh, what what do you, what do you think about that, baby Huey? <laughs> well, is this once again their attempt to tell everyone how upset they are by being in WWE? I mean, it, it, it's well, it's like okay, we get it. Like you're frustrated, but it's like okay, just do your job, and then when the contract's up, move on. But at the same time, I feel like just complaining on social media. It's like I don't know. I kind of feel a little bit like the boy crying wolf a little bit. It's like okay, I get it. You're upset. You're probably pissed off that you guys had to drop the titles this week to the OC, but it is what it is. I, I don't know. It, it just, it, I feel like it's getting kind of repetitive at this point. I, I misspoke, actually. I meant Scott Dawson. 
Pardon, Scott Dawson. Pardon me. There's the Arn Anderson tweet. Let me pull it up here for you. Okay. Arn taught us well. See you soon, double A. But wait, Arn Anderson, he's not working for anyone right now. I th- I think AEW is probably going to bring him in pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, but I remember he did an interview with StarCast that I watched, and he said he's, you know, he he uh, was let go from WWE. He was at StarCast, but he said he's going to enjoy some time off. He, like, he said he's been very busy in the wrestling business for multiple decades, and this is finally the first time he has some time off, and I think he wants to enjoy that. But maybe he but he did say he would be open to working with AEW. So I don't think since Starcast nothing official has come out for Arn well, Anderson. Well, here here's the thing. So so Scott Dawson puts that out there Arn Arn taught us well. See you soon double A. Starcast on Twitter jumps in the thread and, and puts out the hashtag FTR. So, I mean, yeah, there's just all this speculation surrounding the revival. You know, they lost the tag titles this week on Raw, you know, whatever it's scripted, but yeah. Uh, there, there has been this consistent sort of speculation surrounding them. Do you think the revival, or I mean, wh- what do you think the deal is with them? I don't know anymore because what was it, a couple months ago we thought uh, uh, Gallows and Anderson were going to be on their way out, but then they sign a new five-year deal and they get the tag titles now. So I don't know. I, I feel like some of these guys who might be complaining publicly on social media. Probably WWE sees that and they're figure, okay, we'll put the titles on you just to make you happy. Now resign. So I wonder if the revival gained those tag titles for this last run was just an attempt to make them happy and hopefully use that as a ne- negotiation tool to win them over and resign. I mean, Gallows and Anderson, everyone thought they were going to be jumping ship and going meet up with their buddies from New Japan in the Young Bucks and at, over at AEW. And so we all thought, oh, they're gone for sure. And all of a sudden they resign and now they. They're getting a huge push right now. So maybe they're being rewarded for re-signing. They're, now they're like being reinforced as this new badass faction with AJ Styles now. So I just, I'm so confused. I hate the OC name. Yeah, the name itself. Yeah, I'm not a fan of But just overall, though, I, I don't know what to say anymore because it's like, okay, you're upset. Great. You're posting online. Great. All right. Well, that's all you can do at this point. Maybe down the road you can... Um, uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? It's, it's just I, like, I what think, else? I do think there is something to be said in terms of using social media for pro wrestling purposes. It is the new frontier of working us people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, then, and so there is a lot to be said for that, that maybe we're all just getting worked and jerked around and stuff like that. And good on you for doing it. Uh, you know, I, I think the Revival are very talented guys. I don't think throwing the tag team titles on them was going to make them happy. You know, I I, th- I think you know they had a great match. Like I, I do think the one thing that we can say from the last few weeks of, from both WWE and AEW is that tag team wrestling should be entering another golden age because mm-hmm. they have some really high quality top tier tag teams, and the Revival are certainly included among them. And when given the time, and when they're not being asked to roll around in the ring because of Usi hot or being made fun of because they were shaving each other's backs and stuff like that. They are really top tier wrestlers, mm-hmm. uh, and and that really shown through this week. So I think what would make them happier, and I think what would make us fans happier, is better storylines for them, mm-hmm. more time in the ring. It, does, it doesn't the the titles really don't matter right now because yeah. they've been just thrown all over the place. So it's like, yeah, they repackage the OC. They're going to put the titles on them. Yeah, it's good optics for the club. And everything, you know, they have the tag titles and the U.S. title make them look like a powerful faction. I get that. And yeah. I actually am on board with them making that switch. Um, but there's more to it than just being like, okay, you're unhappy. Here's the tag titles. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe they 
again, the whole using social media thing, maybe they're not unhappy. Maybe it's, again, just to build that internet buzz, and that's what they want. Maybe that's a directive. Who knows? They want the retweets. <laughs> yeah, they, they, want, they want the buzz. They want people talking about them. The best way to get fans talking about you online is like, oh, it, it's, it's the... It's the 21st century way of a promo. I was like, was he supposed to say that? Mm-hmm. And that that is something that always was a little, you know, kind of magic with pro wrestling. It's like, oh, was he? He went there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's on social media. A lot of times, that's what that is. And but you brought up a good point. Like this should be the next golden era of tag team wrestling. What the Young Bucks and everyone else over at AEW wants to do. I think the. They said, I think in an interview, that their emphasis with uh, the star of their TV show in October on TNT is they're going to have like a tag team tournament to to, to uh, crown the first ever AEW tag team champion. So I'm excited, looking forward to that for the the few first few episodes of their TV show. But WWE, they have so many talented tag teams right now. And this past Monday, I think was a good example of what they can do. They can have this great. Uh, three-way tag team match for the titles, and then the next hour have the um, Viking Raiders do their own match, have appearances by Street Profits, which I'm, which I'm still confused by. Nonetheless, they're acknowledging a tag team. So you can see tag teams are being being present yeah. on Raw, which I'm all for, but that's great. You have like a championship match. Next hour, just have another tag team, maybe a squash-type match like we saw. But you're building up all these different storylines with your tag team division. Even on SmackDown, as of late, they had Heavy Machinery, even Daniel Bryan and um, Rowan going on, and uh, The New Day. Uh, I mean, so they're sl- it, it feels like they're slowly trying to get back to taking the tag team division back up to uh, uh, a better, what's the word, uh, a stronger presence on their week-to-week TV, but it's still there's still a lot to be done to rebuild that division. But I'm I'm still optimistic based on what's been going on as of late. They have a lot of talent, yes. uh, and the, the thing what they need for that talent is direction and consistently so, you know, because they can insert two tag teams one week and another two the next week, and they can go out there and put on a really great match. Mm-hmm. But to get people to really care, you need some good storylines and yes. everything like that. So that that's that's sort of what they've been missing is just sort of that consistent direction. Yeah. Uh, some things that we, we got to talk about because it was noticeable this week. Uh, the the scuttle is and the what have you online is that WWE, thank God, is dropping their policy about no wrestling during the commercial break. So you may have noticed this week there were no two out of three falls matches. There were no BS restarts and stuff like that after the commercial break. Which, again, I love a good two out of three falls match. But when you do, like, three in a single show and five in a given week, it loses any sense of it being special. Mm-hmm. And, and so I am I am so glad that the what have you online is that Paul Heyman put the kibosh on that and that we are back to having wrestling during the commercial break. That's just the price of doing business. Yeah. Because there's going to be wrestling. And, look, they're trained to know how to, like, have some high spots during the break. And then you, that's, that's when Raw... You know, the recap heavy show that it is, that's when we might actually want to see a recap of something when we didn't get it on live TV. Like a big move that happened during yes. the commercial break. Like, oh and my they God. do that. And, that. and that's when it's actually appreciated and well done. Well, let me ask you this. Why on SmackDown we get the picture-in-picture picture during a commercial break? Like, we're able to still watch 
what's going on in the ring during a commercial break when it's like a little like in the lower third or upper third. Yeah, I, I don't know what the difference in the deal is there. Yeah, probably just some contractual thing and. You know, probably a little bit more leeway with SmackDown that they can try and throw some pasta up against the wall and see what sticks kind of deal. Yeah, I'm curious if that'll carry over when it goes over the Fox. Or- I don't really like the the picture in picture thing, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm, it's to me like if I'm sitting kind of far away from my TV, it's still kind of small. It, yeah, it's kind of meaningless. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's kind of cool knowing that you're still seeing the action going on. But I, I'm, I for one, am very happy that if WWE is walking back their whole no wrestling during the commercial break policy, I, I think that I think that's great for their product. Well, I think people were just like scratching their heads, like, wait, like first off, you have this wild card rule, and then you have like all these no more com- uh, wrestling during commercials. It just felt like things were getting so scattered week to week on Raw and SmackDown. And it was just like so frustrating. It's just like, what's going on here? It, it just. It just felt unorganized, or it's like they're scrambling last minute to come up with ideas. And it's like, oh, okay, we're going to do this now. Stop, stop, stop. Okay, commercial, we're going to come back and do this. It just felt there's no flow. It doesn't feel like it's like a very well-planned-out show. That's for me, at least. It's just, it's just a lot of speed bumps. That's it, kind of like the big thing. It's just like keep the momentum going. Yeah. One, one last little note before we, we get into our takeaways from Raw and SmackDown this week. Uh, again, the what have you online would would make you believe that moving forward, when SmackDown moves to Fox, that we will have a reinforcement of the brand split, more, very distinct rosters again, none of this switching around. Which, by the way, it seems like they've even abandoned the wild card rule. It's just wild, wild west out there. It's just people are just on both shows. There's really no rhyme or reason, which makes the fact that they have different sets of titles so asinine and stupid. They don't even acknowledge it really anymore. Yeah, exa- exactly. It's like, like they, why is this person it's here? It's just the status quo now. Yeah. Uh, you know, Roman Reigns is supposed to be the biggest acquisition in SmackDown history, and he's on Raw every week. Yeah. Uh, so th- that's, that is uh, bizarre to me, but I, for one... I still think the brand split can be viable Absolutely. and good for the overall health of world wrestling entertainment and professional wrestling at large. Well, this wild card rule has just really hurt the mid card division because we're getting the same top tier main eventers being seen on Raw and SmackDown every week. So there's less and less guys appearing on Raw and SmackDown every week. They're just sitting in the back. What? No, just hearing you talk about that just makes me see, you know, there's a lot, you know, all the debates are going on, you know, for president right now and everything. Yeah. Like just, it just sounds like your policy like, you're killing the middle class, you know? It's the same one percenters that are getting time every week, you know, and you're killing the middle class. Who's going to fight for Sami Zayn? You know, I took the train in from Pennsylvania every day and I watched Sami Zayn's indie matches, you know? Like, you're the champion for the mid-card. I'm Bernie Sanders of professional wrestling <laughs> uh, for the fans. I mean, it's just, it is, but you're right. But yeah, like, like the mid card, like, okay, how many times we talked about this in the last six months? Like a good episode of Raw can be spread out over three hours. Like with the, considering how big their roster is for both shows, it should be action packed every single week. There should be no downtime unless it's a promo or something. But literally you could start out the show with a match. Uh, maybe a couple of low card guys just kind of kicking things off, or maybe start with some big names just to get the engine revving and momentum going for the show. Then come back with a women's match, and then come back with like an IC type match, then a tag match, then maybe a female a women's tag match, then lead into maybe a funny promo or something backstage segment, then leads into the main event. You get what I'm saying? Like there's so yeah. many different divisions 
within WWE's own roster that they all can shine week to week, and therefore the talent gets a nice revolving door of people we're getting to see every week. It's just mind-boggling. With this wildcard rule, we're seeing the same faces over and over on Raw and SmackDown now, and there's so many people not getting attention. And therefore, it gets I think a lot of these storylines get stale very fast. I mean, you look at the the Baron Corbin, Seth Rollins angle with even Becky and Lacey. I think the fact that we were seeing it dominate the show every week and no one else was getting time, a TV time, I think that's why people were just starting to turn on this thing besides just some of the people that were involved in that whole match. But you, you get what I'm saying? It's just, yeah. it, it's, it's just mind-boggling that they're just just the episodes of Raw and SmackDown cannot be better structured in use of their talents and to really show off how many people they have and all these different type of matches they can have present from all the different divisions. All right, let, let's get into the shows proper uh, this week. What was your overall takeaway from Monday Night Raw this week? <laughs> SmackDown, not to jump to SmackDown right away, but I felt yeah. like it's... <laughs> swear I asked you about Raw. But I'm just saying, but it turned into Simpsons. Like, who killed Mr. Burns? Who attacked yeah, Roman who Reigns? Who shot JR? Yeah, you know, who exactly. attacked Johnny Gargano? <laughs> yeah. I was like... But anyway, for Raw itself, um, I mean, I guess the biggest takeaway from Raw is just I love seeing Brock Lesnar being this huge monster. Well said. That's just like no holds bar. He's... um. <laughs> I just love this ferocious side of him that he's just attacking people and you know and just it's he's just so intimidating. It was it was the best thing you'll watch in wrestling all week was Brock Lesnar's decimation of Seth Rollins. It was really brutal. Uh, kudos to Seth for being willing to you know take all of that punishment from Brock. Kudos to Brock for again just playing. What what a great attraction he is. I know he has all of his detractors from people. You know, they want to see him there more consistently. Look, I'd love to see Brock Lesnar on a more consistent basis, but there is no denying just he's the draw yeah. right now. He he He's the guy. He is the attraction. He is what is what no other wrestling promotion has or can have right now is Brock Lesnar. The other thing, too, like when Brock Lesnar walks in a room, you're like, whoa, look at that guy. Like he just has that star power when he walks in. So to see him just kind of go crazy and attack Seth multiple times, it's like, whoa, it's like. There's a reason why people fell in love with the Suplex City thing. Yeah, You know, people loved what Brock was doing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until they wanted more of it and he was really defiant about giving it to him that they really kind of churned on him. And they thought, yeah, he just wasn't representing the universal title to the fullest. I get that. But um, the other thing, too, it's just, as we mentioned earlier, just uh, the OC (laughs) Gallows and Anderson winning the tag titles. So it's kind of cool that the OC, they uh, they really been booked strong in the last few weeks, and now they're like have a good portion of the gold for Monday Night Raw. Yeah. So I think it's really cool. It Like, okay, Brock has the universal title, so the next best title for AJ to have is the U.S. title. Yeah, and I, and I do think that's a good point because if Brock's not going to be on TV with the title, I think AJ can elevate the U.S., which yeah. is something they've struggled to do since John Cena's open challenge mm-hmm. that he used to do. So I do think uh, AJ and Ricochet with the good feud, they can elevate that to mm-hmm. uh, a more upper-tier status. It's never been my favorite championship, especially when it's come over to WWE. I just mm-hmm. never have been about it. Don't like the look of it that they've done with it, but... I mean, just the pointy thing at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hurts the crotch. Uh, Also, I do want to talk real quick about the the angle they ran with Becky Lynch and Natalia uh, with Mm. Fit Finley training her to try and, you know, sort of figure out a counter to the disarmer. Fantastic idea. 
I felt like it was kind of a poorly executed vignette segment. It just, it was, it was just sort of, I get they were kind of trying to go with like sort of like a gorilla sort of video type feel to it, but it, it just felt like a little bit awkward and scripted in that sense. You know, it felt a little stiff. Well, let me ask you this also, the purpose of it, do you think now that they're trying to book Becky more heel in this match? Like, let me ask you this. I think um, they're trying to get her back to her anti-hero sort of deal. She's in the middle. Like, the cool factor. She'll be back. at anyone. I, I think they're trying to get the cool factor back to her. Okay. Uh, and you know, it's funny. I, w- I was thinking about that on the ride in today. It's like, man, when she was on SmackDown, she was on top of the world. You know, like just the way they were riding her, the leeway they were giving her. You know, it just it didn't feel so forced. It was so organic, and they were letting her really be herself. And then Raw again. I really like the idea of the segment, so I do think it's a step very much in the right okay. direction to get Becky back on track. But then even Natty kind of she's been trying to do some heel stuff on her yeah. promo. So it's like who's the heel and who's the face in this situation? I think oh Becky's the face, like because they're not going to boo Becky. Okay, Becky's absolutely the face. But maybe they expect Becky to get some boos because it's in Canada. I'm not going to hold my breath. And just shout out Cedric Alexander for just the high flying move off the top of the of the uh, the stage of the uh, on the Monday Night Raw set. So I thought that was just kind of cool. Him, you know, jump yeah. like wee, catch me. Yeah, no, that was that was very cool. Um, so yeah, we had the decimation of Seth Rollins, which is probably the best thing you'll see all week. Uh, I do also want to talk about all of a sudden one of the most compelling guys in pro wrestling and storyline that I'm very interested in is Dolph freaking Ziggler. Really? Like the whole continuing on with him coming out there to Shawn Michaels music and sort of like the, the cheap knockoff vest and everything like that. Uh, I, I really like that. They're first of all, I don't want to see Shawn come back and wrestle again unless he's really going to commit to it and everything like that. It's such a perfect swan song and I can completely erase crown jewel from my memory, but Dolph using this to get the goat of some legends and everything like that. If they and I do think that they're building up to this match, I don't know when it will be, but I would love it if this whole thing is building up to Dolph Ziggler versus Goldberg at WrestleMania because he keeps name dropping Goldberg every appearance. You know, in terms of running down the legends, he's going to face Miz at SummerSlam. Hopefully, they can keep from shooting their load with this and build to a really big WrestleMania match. That that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, the rumor is I heard that they're trying to do this at SummerSlam. Like, Miz is not going to be the actual opponent. It's going to be Goldberg? They're going to shoehorn Goldberg in. Interesting. That's I don't know. We'll see. I mean, that's some of the outlets are reporting, but I don't know. But uh, it, it's – Dolph, I mean, I, I do – yeah, I love what he's doing here, and it, it's – for anyone, I mean, he's one of the best workers in WWE, so whatever direction they want to go with it, I'm sure it's going to be an entertaining match. So, I don't know. It's – which I'm kind of excited for him versus Goldberg if that's the case, just because I don't know if I really was feeling him versus Miz. Like I think that's I what- like it because that was a great segment last week with Miz and Dolph, mm-hmm. and I and I and I sort of like the build off it. I like them putting him in the ring with Seth uh, because Seth's another guy obviously influenced by Shawn Michaels. You know they both use the super kick. Uh, I don't like the devaluing of it. I thought I thought after Seth nailed him with the double super kick, he should have just pinned Dolph right yeah. there. If they sub in Goldberg, fine. Uh, and I love Bill, and I would love to see Bill go over, but have Dolph beat him, and then you're building the Dolph versus Undertaker at WrestleMania. If you want him to take mm. down you know, a legend and you have another big WrestleMania match, you can have Dolph run through all these other legends, maybe semi-retired guys, and, and have it build to a match with Undertaker at WrestleMania. The point is, for the first time in a while, 
Dolph has an interesting direction that I think they could really build off of that makes some sense. I really like the motivation of his character. Like, the the whole Kofi Kingston feud didn't make any sense to me. This makes a ton of sense to me. Mm-hmm. I, it's based on the realism because for years everyone's been calling him a knockoff Shawn Michaels because he loves Shawn Michaels. If I were a pro wrestler... I'd want to be a knockoff Shawn Michaels. Chris Jericho was a knockoff Shawn Michaels for a big portion of his career. Like, we get it. And I love that they're that they're using that in storyline. So as long as they have a cool end of the road for this, I'm all for it. It's it's really interesting. And Dolph can go in the ring. He just totally. he just needs some creative direction. This is beautiful. Yeah, I'm all for it too. It's uh I just hope they don't screw this up. I, I feel like us wrestling fans, we say that a lot. It's like, I hope they don't screw this up. I hope they don't screw this up. Even Bray Wyatt, I hope they don't screw this yeah. up. It just No doubt. It's up. But real quick, before I forget, I just wanted to mention, uh, I actually enjoyed an actual match for the 24-7 title. Yes. Just like, it's just an actual match. It's yeah. not like some backstage parking lot incident. It's an actual match that was just laid out. Yeah. I, I, think, I think the 24-7 title... Uh, is better served on social media channels than it yeah. is uh, taking up time on Monday Night Raw. Certainly, I get it. First of all, it was a funny opening package uh, talking about, and I thought the, I thought the twenty four seven title was actually pretty interesting this week. And Maria being champion, the whole pregnant thing is is great. I hope she's working us with that, which would be tremendous. But I, I don't think that she is. Well, I'm glad that maybe her and her husband have it for a while. And just because, okay, I think R-Truth and uh, Drake Maverick have had it for a while, like, back and forth. It's like, all right, let's move on to someone else for a bit now. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough act to fall. R-Truth being 24-7 champion and getting away with Carmella, yeah. just that was just really entertaining. I liked it better when Drake couldn't get his hands on it, you know, kind of deal. I thought that was really the funny stuff and Carmella helping Truth. I always thought it would eventually lead to Carmella pinning him, but... <laughs> Um, I wonder, like, who would actually pin Maria then? If she's pregnant, like, how long? Maybe Michael finally pin her uh, and finally rip, maybe on-screen split-ski from her. I don't know. But I do like them being on TV because I think Maria is a talented mm-hmm. uh, manager. I like Mike. Uh, so I, I, I hope they— Want to be again, like Mike? I don't want to be like <laughs> Mike in terms of— Like, Maria calling out saying he has a vagina on Raw. It was, that, was, uh, <laughs> that was something else. Um all right, let's talk about SmackDown because we, we did have some other big stuff happen on SmackDown. You mentioned the Who the Who Shot JR uh, incident with Roman Reigns. Um, but we also had the King's Court uh, with Jerry the King welcoming out Trish Stratus uh, and Charlotte Flair challenging Trish. I, I do like that they are making this matchup. Okay. I would have liked this to have maybe gotten a little bit more of a start than at this point in the game. And again, the execution of this. I, I would have liked Charlotte to get even more personal with Trish. I did like talking about, you know, how women's wrestling is different now. You know, it's not just about having good looks and stuff like that. Um, but I'm I'm on board for this. And I think they should have played up more of it being in Toronto, too. Yeah, and that's the thing is, uh, yeah, Trish being from there, so it's in her hometown. So it's like, man, they're getting all the Canadians on this show between Natty and her. But uh, I enjoyed the promo as far as uh, Trish acknowledging the wrestlers from her day, Lita, Jacqueline, Ivory. Um, um, oh, my God, who else did they mention? Um, you, you, so when I heard all those names, I was like, oh, yeah, man, that's from our time when we were watching, like, in high school and college. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. It just It's cool that they're acknowledging all those female uh, superstars from back in the day. But my one thing is I just feel like they're just kind of throwing together some of these matches kind of last minute. And that's something I kind of mentioned last week is I think the Raw reunion, it, it took away an episode of Raw just to build up storylines towards SummerSlam. Instead, you're bringing up all these legends for a night. 
and you lose out on a, a night of Raw to like, build up new rivalries and add storylines. So this week and even next week, these go-home shows, I think there's going to be a lot of last-minute stuff thrown together, and I just worry, will I be emotionally involved? This is the second biggest show of the year for WWE SummerSlam, yeah. and I feel like Extreme Rules was just a few weeks ago, and it's like, bam, we got all these new storylines to build up to. And Extreme Rules is tough act to follow, too, because it's a great show. But then you look at the kind of the lineup for that night, the card, there's a lot of faces not appearing on SummerSlam. So they're kind of, I do enjoy that they're kind of freshening things up. Also, I will say specifically, though, for Charlotte, is I, I, I'm excited for this match because it's always kind of nice fantasy booking where you get like a big name from the current roster versus a legend. Those are always kind of fun to see if done properly. But also for Charlotte's sake, just to get her back on TV, because she's been gone for a while. And right now, Bailey has her own rivalry going, Becky. So for, for Charlotte, who's not in the middle of a, a title match right now, this is, just, I think, a great just match for her to, to have her do something yeah. until her next opportunity for a title shot down the road. Uh, I, will, I will say this before we move on to the who attacked Roman Reigns thing. Uh, SummerSlam on paper looks to have like a lot of good matches, but there's a distinct lack of feeling of like heat yes. to to a lot of them, which is why I think I'm so excited for the the Dolph Ziggler part about it, mm-hmm. because you know going into his match there there's juice, you know there there's like there's personal, uh, so that that is one thing I'm ex- I'm excited about with that the Kofi Kingston uh, Randy Orton thing is personal. Yes. So I, I like that, but there's sort of a distinct lack of feeling of of like that heat going into it. But in terms of who attacked Roman Reigns. Um, you know, they've been, put, they've been promoting and then putting off this big announcement for Daniel Bryan uh, kind of deal. Roman was supposed to come out and challenge, you know, announce who he's going to be facing at SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was he was attacked sort of no sold it and walked away, <laughs> which is you know something else. But uh, I think I'm thinking Daniel Bryan could be the guy to tab for the for the job here. And Roman Reigns versus Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam. That's got that's got big appeal to me. Yeah, that's I was like trying to narrow it down. I was like, okay, well, Samoa Joe and him have been going back and forth for the last couple of weeks, so and he's the obvious obvious choice. person. The other one was like, you know, we haven't seen Buddy Murphy on TV in a while. Yet that one, uh, he got acknowledged one week, a couple weeks yeah. ago. Could it be him? A great way to kind of elevate him right away. Who's been gone for a while? It's, he attacked the biggest, the big dog. Yeah, aka the star of Hobbs and Shaw. God. Uh, but yeah, Daniel Bryan, because Daniel Bryan in his last couple weeks has been teasing a big career altering exactly. announcement. But he hasn't said anything. And There's nothing more career altering than taking the L facing Roman Reigns. <laughs> so, but I'm just kind of curious what would be his motive for taking out Roman other than he just doesn't like him. I don't know. I'm just kind of curious, like, what would be Daniel Bryan's motive to like, get back in the title picture? I mean,. Yeah, I don't know. I'm mean, sure they could come up. They could come up with some eco-friendly reason why he wants to attack Roman Reigns. Yeah, uh, I, I just I think uh, I, I think that would be you know that's the biggest time matchup that they have to go to there, and it'd be you know Daniel Bryan needs something to do uh, you know at SummerSlam, and so that 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 would be where I would go with. And again, the obvious choice is that it was Samoa Joe. I think that would be too easy. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you know make it you know have Roman accuse Samoa Joe. It's not Samoa Joe. It's Daniel Bryan, Roman, and uh, and then you know well, hopefully Daniel Bryan could get a big win at SummerSlam too. I mean, we'll probably get the answer by next week because next yeah. week's the go home shows. That's or, why. Or maybe we don't. Maybe we go into SummerSlam and Roman's still looking for the one who did it. But I would think that they would want to promote Roman versus Daniel. 
It was Big Cass. Like, Big Cass oh, took God, out. yeah. Right? Was man. that the most recent time they did that? Throwback. Well, no, the Johnny Gargano. But, I mean, like, on, on the main roster. Yeah, probably. <laughs> it was Big Cass. Probably that. <laughs> but, uh, real quick, I want to ask you also, what do you think of Kofi and um, AJ Styles? Phenomenal. No pun intended. <laughs> uh, it was just literally my honest-to-God reaction. No, they, they put on a great show, that, and... Uh, it made sense with you know Kofi being able to keep some momentum heading into SummerSlam. I, I I enjoy it. Like it's like all these titles were present as far as New Day. They're the SmackDown tag team and obviously the World Champion WWE Champion. And then the OC they got the Raw tag titles, the US title. So it was like there was a lot of gold out there that Too night. Too much. Too much. But it's like also like they're both kind of two powerful. Stables of each respected show. It, it would well. It would mean more to me if 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 the brands meant more to each other. True, but I I, I just felt like, dude, this could have been like a main event for like a WrestleMania, but they kind of just threw it on an episode of SmackDown. So maybe, hopefully, they'll build up to something else. Maybe at a future pay per view, like three on three or something. Like I, that. I expect Kofi to retain at SummerSlam, but I, then I think it might be time for the best in the world uh, to get his hands on that title. CM Punk. No, Shane McMahon, the real best in the world. Chris Jericho? The real best in the world. Uh, Shane McMahon. Uh, but we'll we'll see how that all shakes out. Overall, I actually uh, I actually really enjoyed both shows this week. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought, um, you know, Raw was not without its its issues, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but it's three hours. What are you going to do? But again, that, that Seth Rollins, Brock Lesnar decimation sensation that that really just carried me throughout this whole week. I thought I w- I was surprised at how brutal they went with it. And again, mm-hmm. kudos to both those guys, especially Seth, for being willing just to take that beating. His selling was fantastic. The just the noises, the twitching, the blood. Woo! Did he pop in some like not to break kayfabe? Did he, did he pop some like blood capsules? Dude, in? I don't I don't know. And that and that's and that's the best part is not knowing. I don't want to know. I, I I like that. That's that's where the the good stuff is is not knowing and. That that was just really like that was the highlight for me from both shows was that Brock Lesnar Seth Rollins segment, um, and it's just so good. He's just there's just nobody like Brock right now. He's I mean, he's the, he's the box office. I mean, I know what probably next week we'll do our predictions for SummerSlam. Yeah. I mean, who do you think will win in that situation? I I, I, I gotta go with Brock. Man. I would think so too. I, I think it wouldn't make sense to kind of go back and forth between the two of them so quickly with the title. Yeah, I think it makes sense Brock, and I think. Brock is key because we're getting closer and closer to that October date yeah. of them going to Fox. And I think SmackDown, I think Brock is destined to be on Fox uh, regularly. I, I agree. I agree with that. I think they want him. I think it makes sense. Which is also, I think, a key point why everyone needs to go see WWE when it comes to Chase Center. It's the last time nice. Raw Joe and Lakeham thanks you. Raw, and so do I. Raw and SmackDown Live are going to be back to back Monday and Tuesday because the following yeah. week that's when SmackDown moves yeah, to Friday. And, uh, <laughs> Becky, you know, and all the all the ladies of the roster, Raw SmackDown <laughs> roster. The actual the the ladies' dressing room was actually in my office at Chase Center, so I'll just I'll just go ahead and I'll I'll show you in there. So don't don't worry about that. Don't listen to anybody else. They don't know where to take you. I'll I'll take you right in. Woo! Me and Jerry the King Lawler will be right there. But <laughs> that is going to do it for us this week. By the way, be sure to follow us at In the Click on all social media. It's very easy to find. In the Click at gmail.com if you wish to opine or complain about me. <laughs> I was just going to say shout out or just a reminder tickets for both Raw and SmackDown coming to Chase Center Monday, September 23rd and Tuesday, September 24th. They go on sale Saturday, August 3rd. 10 a.m. Ticketmaster.com. But I'll put all the links in. Uh, That's manana. <laughs> yes. 
uh, on our on our social channels and also on the Bone website and all that stuff. So get your tickets, support WWE, especially when they come in. Uh, uh, coming off the heels of Metallica's first concert in a couple weeks, it's uh, it's gonna be one of the first big events at Chase Center. Rest in peace to Harley Race for Baby Huey. I'm Bimbo Jimbo, and remember, if you're not in the click, see ya. And I wouldn't want to be ya. <laughs>